Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Sharif, and today I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. Um, for all but two, we're all in despair. And I'm wearing, uh, I-, I was going to wear black to uh, symbolize my dreams dying again. But I thought that'd be dramatic. And those of you who know me, dramatic's not my style, right? So I got that going on. Don't laugh. That's not funny. Um, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Usually I'm leading the music, but today I get the opportunity and the privilege to preach. And uh, when, I, when I heard that we were preaching through one verse, I was like, wow, I've, I've never done that before. Just one. And then second, when I heard we were going through Ephesians about a year ago, I got really excited um, because I've actually been to Ephesus, which is, I got a great opportunity when I was in college to go to Turkey and get to minister to uh, to, to uh, to college students uh, in a predominantly Islamic context, and that was a great experience. But I know how this works. Uh, unless there's a photo, it didn't happen. So that's a much younger and a much skinnier Stephen. Um, I'm working on it, okay? And uh, it was it was magnificent. It was magnificent. It was it was it was gorgeous. And and I, what I what I hope you see from even this that's the stadium in Acts 19, and this is a, a library. Um, Ephesus was massive, huge. Many think it was the third largest city in the uh, known world. And so we got, like I said, one verse today. Um, I say that to kind of to say Ephesians has a tender spot in my heart. But let's, let's get to it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get one into your hands. So if you don't have a Bible here, raise your hand. We got the large print for you. We're ready for you. Let's get, make that happen. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. We want to make sure that everybody here has a Bible that they uh, can love and that they can, they can study and that they can read. And so let me pray for us. You can keep those hands up. Let me pray for us. If you need a Bible in Spanish, you can also get that as well. Let me, let me pray. Um, let me pray for me, and uh, we'll, we'll get right to it here. So, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. I am, I am well aware that I am, do not have the ability I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the charisma to be able to make this time helpful in and of myself. So Spirit, would you fill me? Would you give me the words to say? Would you give us ears to hear? I pray that this would be helpful. And Spirit, as you wrote this word through Paul, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear it uh, this morning, Lord. For your glory, our joy, and all of our good. In your name we pray, amen. Let's get to it. So we're, we're continuing with this house analogy, if you remember from last week. And, and, and last week we talked about a room that we don't normally uh, kind of spend a lot of time in or there's a lot of confusion around. Um, and so there's kind of two, two camps that we could fall in. Um, it's either kind of total infatuation or just an ignoring. And that's kind of the, the conversation around predestination, election, conversation about Calvinism, whatever title you want to give it, Reformed theology. And uh, I don't have to, to touch on that one uh, this morning. And uh, if, you, if you were not here last week, you want to listen to that. It was incredibly helpful. Dave did a great job, and I'd encourage you to take a listen to that online. But this Sunday, we're going to be talking about a room of this house that I think is going to be more familiar. But I wonder if we miss what's kind of sitting right in front of us because it's become too familiar. 
And my goal today is that we would understand the work of Christ and that we'd understand who we are in Christ with more clarity, with more depth, and with more excitement. So if you're taking notes, I got three points. This is where we're going, Ephesians 1-7. Number one, it's redemption for victims. Two, it's forgiveness for villains. And three, the foundation of it all. So let's get right to that first point, redemption for victims. And I'm going to kind of break this text up into three sections here. So I'm going to call this Ephesians 1-7-A and this redemption for victims. So in him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood. So redemption, and I, say, I better get this one right, huh? Because it's the name of our church. Uh, and, and for many of us, when we hear the word redemption, I would imagine that, that kind of what goes on in our heads, and when we hear this word, we kind of generically think it means salvation, or maybe forgiveness, or, or if we're honest, maybe like not hell. I want to tell you, the name's not the not hell church, right? Like it's richer than that, it's fuller than that. Um, and redemption sheds a beautiful light uh, on who we are in Christ and what Christ has done. And if you need a definition, I believe redemption is the paying of a debt and redemption is the liberation from bondage. Redemption is the paying of a debt and a liberation from bondage. To understand the fullness of redemption in this word, we need to have a full understanding of the story of God. See, redemption in Old Testament language is is talked about of the paying of a debt, uh, uh, the debt of slaves or the oppressed so that they can go free. Think of the biblical story, if you know it, of Ruth and Boaz. He redeems her. Her entire life changes. She goes from, from marginalized to family. She goes from enslaved to free in many ways. You also see redemption language in Israel's liberation from bondage. The greatest story of redemption in the Old Testament is when God released his people from the oppression and the slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh. See, the language of redemption, when we get down to it, see, it it has freedom and release built into it. There's an assumption of slavery and captivity with the language of redemption. You might be wondering, what does this have to do with our texts, all all these kind of Old Testament stories? But but a theme that Paul says, and this is big because it's going to shape a lot of this morning. A theme that Paul repeats in Ephesians is that sin is not just a personal wrongdoing, but sin is a power that we are held captive to. Sin is a power that we are held captive to. We can't escape on our own. See, individually and collectively, communally, here in this room, we need to be set free. And what Paul is saying is, through this redemption language, is that God's, that as God's people were set free from the bondage of, 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 of Egypt, God's new people are set free from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of sin. That's what Paul's getting at here. That there is a new exodus in Christ. There is a new exodus in Christ, and it's an emancipation from the real enemy, and it's not Pharaoh, and it's not a a, 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 a nation, but it's sin and Satan and death itself. And that God redeems and sets free from there. And and what Paul is saying here, church, is that Jesus' salvation has redemption. You have been set free from the power of sin through Christ, through the mastery of sin, The text says we have redemption through his blood. We have freedom through his blood. We are captives to sin. The power of sin, and we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus has victoriously conquered 
sin, evil, Satan, and death. And it's through his death and resurrection. It's through his death and resurrection. We never get away from the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what this means, oh Christian, this is good news. What this means is that you are not ruled by sin. The areas of brokenness in your life that you are experiencing, you can have hope for relief. Addictions can be broken. Cycles of sin can change. Generational pain can be healed in Jesus Christ, for in Jesus Christ we have redemption. That's good news. Amen? Amen means I'm tracking, I'm agreeing. You've been set free from the power of sin through Jesus Christ. That's good news. Amen? All right. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been set free from the power of sin and death. But we so often, if we're honest, put the shackles back on. We so often still jump at our old master's voice. We still often go back to the jail cell. We are free, but we're living like a slave. Some of us are in that place this morning. All of us are in that place to some degree this morning. Free, but living like a slave. And I want to tell you, this is not the life. This is not the salvation. This is not the good news that God gives. Free, but still in captivity. God sets free in fullness. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 5.1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Christ has set us free. Live out of, operate out of your new redemption identity in Jesus Christ. Let us look also where Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this, this directly echoes our Ephesians text this morning, redemption and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God has delivered us out of darkness and into light. And I think we've got to pause here because some of us in the room, and probably all of us to a certain degree, feel like you're living in darkness. Feel like you are experiencing darkness this morning. From depression to addiction to anxiety, to sickness, to pain, to loss. I just want to say, God can deliver you. He is stronger. He loves you. God is in it with you. You are not alone. You have God with you and brothers and sisters beside you. Remember who you are, Christian. I think so much of our pain and sorrow and confusion in life is forgetting who we are. Ephesians says you are chosen. Ephesians says you are loved. Ephesians says that you are called. And yet some of us in this room, we feel like the darkness is suffocating. I want you to look at me. The dawn will break. And if not in this lifetime, Jesus says he's with you. For even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk in what feels like suffocating darkness, 
you are with me. But one day the dawn will break. For the end of the story says that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eye and he will make all things new. The dawn will break. Oh, Christian, lift your head. Lift your head. See, it's really important for us to wrap our minds around the reality that Jesus does not just save us from the penalty of sin or from our wrongdoings with sin, but that Jesus sets us free from the power of sin. And we see this in this slavery imagery. It, it, It took a while for God to even do this. So it might not happen overnight. It might not happen. Immediately. I don't know what God's timing is for each and every one of us. But what we see is God does not say to his people in slavery, well, your wrongdoings are taken care of. Isn't that good enough? He's out to get his people. And he's out to get us as well and set us free. God's not saying stay in Egypt. He's saying I'm going to set you free from Egypt. I'm going to set you free from sin. Here's the thing. God is redeeming you. God is setting you free to have relationship with you. So often redemption and kind of the context I grew up in, it got kind of turned into this cold transaction. That's not the picture here. God is out to get you because he loves you and wants to be in relationship with you as his son and daughter. With us as a people, he wants to be in relationship with us. So you remember last week, even Ian alluded to as he was leading, that we have been adopted into God's family. And we've been adopted by his initiating, by his, by his irresistible, by his undeserved love and grace. He comes after us to rescue us, to rescue you. God is good. And he's out to set us free. And, and here, here's the thing also, and... and kind of a quick aside. If I was to poll kind of everyone in the room and just said, hey, what do you think about the term redemption? I assume most of us in the room would actually have a picture of redemption that's not being set free, that's not um, a, 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 a liberation. I would imagine that most of us in the room, when we hear the term redemption, it's taking something broken and making it beautiful, redeeming something bad and bringing some good out about it. That's kind of a modern interpretation and a modern kind of what the word has come to mean in our modern vernacular. That, that redemption is that. And I would say, that's, God does that as well. He does that also. We see God changing and, and redeeming and using this reality in, 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 in our lives. He does it in our life circumstances. For me, one of the clearest examples in my life is with baseball. I wanted to be a, a I wanted to play college baseball. I had a dream of playing baseball and I was good and I got hurt. And I remember thinking, God's thrown me under the bus. I remember thinking, what is happening? I remember being very bitter and angry and knowing this is not good. But it was when I was 16 and busted up my shoulder that I picked up a guitar because I just wanted something to do. And now 12 years later, I'm leading us in worship week in and week out out in Redemption, Tucson, Arizona. Me hurting my shoulder was not good, but God brought something beautiful and good out of that. We could could each go down the line and every one of us could share stories about something that was not good, but God brought about good in it. But when we were in that moment of pain and suffering, it sure didn't feel good. It sure didn't feel like there was a story of redemption. We even see this in our salvation. Some of us right now in the room have a torture device 
a symbol of it, hanging around our necks. It's a little weird. <laughs> we have one up on stage. The cross was an ancient torture device. The Romans had perfected it. And, and none of us right now, at least I, I hope not, have an electric chair necklace or, 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 or a lynching necklace. That would be very weird. You should throw that away. That's bizarre. But we have crosses. Not because we're celebrating people being tortured to death. But we have a cross around our neck because God has turned that symbol of pain and suffering into a symbol of life and victory. God has redeemed, taken something broken and turned it into something beautiful. And I want to say if God can take a, a torture device and make it the symbol of salvation in life, then he can take the brokenness in your life and bring about some good in it, through it. Does that make sense? You tracking with that? Redemption's good. You, you, I mean, you can see why we love the name. <laughs> this liberation, this being set free, this redeeming, bringing something beautiful out of brokenness. Redemption. Let's keep moving. Paul's saying here in verse 7 that we're held captive to sin without Christ's loving, initiating intervention. But he's also saying we're not just captive, we're culpable in our sin. We're victims that need to be set free, but we're also villains that need to be forgiven in this story. So number one, go back to our points here. Number one, we have uh, redemption for victims. And then number two, we have forgiveness for villains. So let's go back to our verse, but I want to look at kind of sections A and B. Let's kind of keep walking through this here. It says this, in him we have redemption through his blood and now the forgiveness of our trespasses. See, forgiveness is all about guilt being absolved. It's all about debt cancellation. We, we were just talking about brokenness and pain and talking about death. We're talking about sin. We're talking about guilt, and we feel it. We feel it. We, we long for forgiveness. We long for cleansing. We have a time of confession every week. We just did it a few minutes ago, and we do this as a reminder that we need saving. We do this as a reminder that we need forgiveness, that in and of ourselves we are guilty before God. But the story doesn't end there. We do this every week. We rehearse this story, that God entered the story, that, that, that we hear this assurance of grace. We hear the gospel, and that just means good news. Gospel literally just means good news. And we hear the good news that God rescues us and forgives us of our sin through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And then we stand risen with Christ, and we do this as a symbol of this good news of forgiveness. And as I, I was preparing for this sermon, there was a song that I listened to over and over again, and, and it said, How sweet the gospel sounds to ears like mine. How sweet the gospel sounds to ears like mine. And I want to say, Oh, how sweet the gospel sounds to those who know they need it. How sweet the gospel sounds who know they, they, to those who know they need saving. How sweet this verse sounds to those who know they need forgiveness. And I want to say our deepest longings are found in Christ. This is reality. This isn't wishful thinking. This is real. We have redemption, Paul is saying. We have forgiveness. It is ours. Jesus doesn't just free us from captivity, as beautiful and as important as that is, but he also cleanses us. Church, we are clean in Christ. We are forgiven, Christian. You are not your scars. You are not what you have done. You are not what has been done to you. You are not what you confessed a minute ago. If you are in Christ, you are righteous. You are new. Just 
take a deep breath. Like literally, take a deep breath. Like inhale, exhale. This is who you are. It is more real than, and it is just as real as the chairs you are sitting in. That you are new and righteous and clean in Christ. And I want to ask you, that's good news, amen? Some of us are going to be cheering in a little bit um, for, for touchdowns and for points and, 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 and Super Bowl trophies. We're going to get real excited, and I think that's a fine thing to get excited about. But I think we should get a lot more excited. We say this a lot. We should get a lot more excited that Jesus rose from the dead and set us free and cleanses us of our sin. That's better news. Like, I come from a tortured fan base. We've won it once. It feels good. Jesus alive is better. It's better. We got to feel that in our bones. Back to the house analogy. See, see we're, we're in a room that Christians spend a lot of time in. It's probably, you know, if you've spent any time in church, maybe you've heard this term forgiveness. Maybe you've heard this term grace. If, if, you've, if this is your first time here, I'm really glad you're here. What, a, what an exciting thing that you're hearing this for the first time. But, but don't miss the beauty. Don't, don't miss the magnitude. Don't miss the glory just because it's familiar. Redemption, forgiveness. Yet, yet some of us right now, we, we can't just move past this. Some of us right now, y- you might feel like what you've done is too great. It's too bad. It's too strong for God to deal with. And I want you to look at me. Jesus rose from the dead and he can raise your life from death as well. Jesus rose from the dead. He can raise your life from death as well. You, you might be thinking your story is too messed up. Stephen, you keep talking about forgiveness, but you don't understand what I've done. God can never forgive me. I just want to say, like, let, let us just look at the scriptures and say, God forgives the murderer. Forgives Moses, just kills a man in cold blood. He forgives Paul, our author today, who oversaw systems of murder. He, 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 can, he forgives the, the adulterer, David, who also was a murderer. Now he is a double dip there. And God says he's a man after God's own heart. That guy was messed up. We, we see God heals the abused and the broken. Open any of the Gospels and see who does Jesus gravitate toward? Who does his heart just move towards in love and compassion and grace and healing? It's the abused. It's the marginalized. It's the oppressed. God also calls the coward. Look at Abraham. Look at Look at Peter. See, he can forgive you. God can call you. He can redeem you. He can love you. He can write a whole new story for you. God is the author of life. He can write a glorious new chapter in your life as well. A glorious new chapter. Let's let's look at this verse again. Let's just look at the whole thing. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. 
So one of my goals this morning was clarity. So I wanna, I wanna kind of recap some of what I've been saying and, and before we move on here, that I really want to be clear for us. This isn't Paul repeating himself in this verse. It's not him kind of saying the same thing over again. See, redemption is us being set free from the power of sin. Forgiveness is us being healed and cleansed from the penalty of sin. One, one is captivity. The other deals with cleansing. One is power. One is penalty. We tracking with that? The gospel deals with both. The gospel addresses both. The good news, Jesus' salvation encompasses all of that, forgiveness and redemption. And the, this next thing can't be ignored. But as one pastor says, for good news to be good news, it has to invade bad spaces. It, it just has to. See, see, we're not only victims in this story, we are villains as well because we're sinners who have sinned and have rebelled against God. We, we're all guilty. And this drives us to that phrase right between redemption and forgiveness through his blood. Through his blood. And I just want to say, like, this is not cheap. This is not passive. This is not flippant redemption or, or, or forgiveness or grace. This is costly. It is costly. Let us not sit in these chairs and, and flippantly hear these things, but let it carry the weight that it is supposed to carry. We keep a cross on this stage as a reminder of the weight and the cost of our salvation. It costs Jesus his life. Sin, our sin collectively, my sin individually, your sin individually. It is that heinous and that grievous that the only path to true life was Jesus' death. For the wages of sin is death. And, and we talked about this at our tapestry tables uh, on Monday, but to heal our brokenness, Jesus' body would be broken. It's the only way. Hebrews 9:12 says this: He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal what? Redemption. Thus securing an eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and animals, animal sacrifice could not fully eternally cleanse us. The blood of bulls and lambs does not make provision, but the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, does. Remember what John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the power of sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the penalty of sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our captivity to sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who cleanses us of our sins eternally. That's what Jesus does. And it is good news but it has to invade bad spaces. See, through Jesus' blood, through his death and resurrection, there's a connection between forgiveness and, and redemption. They're joined together. We can't just isolate them out. They're joined together. This is, this is what we inherit through Christ. But this also means that if we have not surrendered to Jesus— if we have not turned to Jesus, if we have not declared, if we have not we've submitted ourselves and surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, then, then we're not forgiven of our sin. 
And it also means we haven't been set free from our sin. Without Jesus, every single one of us in this room, we would still be captive and enslaved to our sin. So my question is, will you turn today? Maybe for the first time or renewed. Will you turn today to Jesus for the healing, for the redemption, for the forgiveness, for the life that he alone brings? Whether you've come every Sunday to redemption or whether this is your first time, will you turn to Jesus today? And this really brings us to our last point. That, that yes, we're talking about redemption for victims. Yes, we're talking about forgiveness for villains. But we can't miss this third one. And that's the foundation of it all. We can't miss the foundation of it all. I want to read this verse one more time. We only got one verse, so I can read it a number of times this morning. If if we're doing like an Acts where you're reading like the whole chapter, that'd be like the whole sermon and we'd be over. Um, But we we can read this a few times. Ephesians 1, 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Don't become too familiar that we miss this. There's three important phrases as we read this verse that that you may have noticed. It's kind of like the connective tissue that joins this verse together. And I would argue joins this actually larger section together as well. And it's, it's that phrase, in him, his blood, his grace. I think that's the connective tissue. I think that's what unites this verse. What do I mean? Redemption Tucson. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's no bait and switch here. Like, it is all about Jesus Christ. We talked about it last week. We talked about it over and over again. This whole section of, this whole book of Ephesians, this whole section 1, 3 through 14, it, it's full of phrases like in him, in Christ, through Christ, his blood. And it's all pointing to the reality that it's always about Jesus. The foundation of it all, the foundation of this house that we're, that we're building in this section, the foundation of it is Jesus Christ. For Jesus says in John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Eternal life is found. The the, the good life is found. Life itself is found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And Let's look at this last phrase. According to the riches of his grace. Grace is a, 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 a term we use a lot in church, but it simply means undeserved favor or undeserved blessing or love or life. The key word is it's undeserved. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's undeserved. It's grace. This is grace. And what does it say? According to the riches of his grace, his grace is not lacking. It is rich. We, we don't have the wealth to purchase our own salvation, both individually and corporately. We are, we are bankrupt. We are desperately in need of rescue. And there is only one rich enough. There is only one strong enough. There's, there's only one who's got the resources enough to do it. The riches of his grace enough to do it. To redeem and free and forgive us individually and collectively from our sin. And that's God by the riches of his grace. I love that imagery. The richness of his grace. I love rich food. <laughs> I think we'd rather be rich than poor. God is rich in grace. Frank Switzer, he's the lead pastor at Redemption Arcadia, he said this. I thought this was cool. He says, um, the grace is dependent on the one giving it, not the one receiving it. I want to tell you that's good news. 
Because if this thing's built around me and my faithfulness and me clinging on to God, that's bad news for me. But if this thing's built around God clinging on to me, that's good news. He's faithful. See, our confidence in grace and in our salvation is not in our deservedness of receiving grace because it's undeserved to begin with. Confidence is found in God's character to be faithful to what he promised, to be generous, to lavish such rich love and grace. It all comes back to faith in Jesus. See, our, our, our salvation is according to his grace, not our effort. His grace, not our effort. I don't think we can say that enough. Our faith is built around God's rich grace. God firmly holding on to us. Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus' hand is stronger than sin. Stronger than even our rebellion. Jesus is stronger. This is secure. And as we talked about last week, this was planned before the foundation of the world. God's not figuring this out as he goes. This is an improvisation. This, is, this should bring peace. God knows what he's doing. God's mercy, God's love, God's grace, it is not lacking. God's bank account of grace is not in the red. It is overflowing. It is richly overflowing. There's an old hymn called The Love of God. And uh, I think it captures well the, the imagery of the richness and the depth and the magnitude of God's uh, love and grace. I've got the lyrics here. Um, even, even try to enter into this and capture the beauty. There's something art does that um, maybe our intellect can't quite grasp. And it says this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above or to write the grace of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky the reality of this this rich grace, the magnitude of this, should cause us to erupt in, in humble and praiseful response to the richness of God's grace, to, to his redemption and forgiveness, the reality of Jesus shedding his blood so that we might live, the reality of God demonstrating his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the reality of Jesus dying that we might live should cause us to worship him. For how sweet the gospel sounds to ears like mine. And I would pray, how sweet the gospel sounds to ears like ours, like yours. Amen? So in closing, I just have one charge ahead for, for, for us here this morning. Oh, Christian, as we read Ephesians, remember this is your actual identity. Blessed chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, loved. My question is, are you living free in light of these realities? Are you living as a son or are you living as a slave? You are free, live like it. Jesus has redeemed us so that we might bring redemption into our world. 
Jesus has forgiven us that we might forgive our neighbor. Jesus has given us rich grace so that we might richly give grace to others, even our enemies. My charge for us in this room is live out who you are. Live out who you are. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, is today the day you will turn to Jesus and believe? Is today the day you will ask for forgiveness and redemption? Is today the day you will trust in the riches of his grace? For everyone in the room, let us all respond to Jesus in praise now. Let's, let's pray to, the, to our rich, gracious God. Join me. God, you are rich in mercy. You are abounding in love. You are the God who redeems and you are the God who forgives. And there is salvation in no one else. There is life in no one else. There is nowhere else we go. Where else will we turn? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. Thank you that you give us our deepest longings and it's real. It's not just wishful thinking. God, thank you that you deal with the power of sin and that you have, you have disarmed it and we can live free. And Jesus, thank you that you cleanse us of our sin, that we can live new. We love you. You're the foundation of it all. I pray that we'd respond to you now in love, in worship, in celebration. In your name we pray. Amen. My name is Jared, and I'm going to lead us in.